SumaUp is next-gen body optimization from an actual doctor that's guaranteed to get you in the best shape of your life in 90 days. You'll be at peak levels for each of the fundamentals that drive your strength, energy, and even your longevity. It's a lifelong difference you'll see in the mirror, but also feel throughout your entire day. SumaUp puts more living in life. For full details on this transformative program designed for the demanding lives of today's highest achieving entrepreneurs and CEOs, visit www.startsuma.com. Hey guys, so it's Dr. Ryan and today we're going to talk a little bit about a topic that's of interest to several of my patients and maybe of interest to you and that is sleep apnea. And we're going to concentrate on a couple of different topics within sleep apnea, background, association with other diseases, risk factors, signs and symptoms, screening, therapies, both conventional as well as integrative, and then also dietary and lifestyle changes that may allow you to overcome this disorder. Okay, so let's start out with background. So sleep apnea is an underrecognized but growing epidemic. 18 million individuals in the U.S. per the National Sleep Foundation are afflicted with it. It's linked to a lot of different things, in particular, daytime sleepiness, depression, accidents, and chronic diseases such as cardiovascular, neurologic diseases, uh, GERD, and type 2 diabetes. When we think about obstructive sleep apnea, we like to think about it in terms of three categories obstructive, central, and mixed. And let's kind of go through what those are. So obstructive sleep apnea basically is a situation where the airway is obstructed and it may be secondary to airway collapse uh, from swelling or narrowing of airway structures or a particular posture, a gravitational pull. And here's a couple of good diagrams that indicate airflow being obstructed, right? You see airflow going into the nose and then to the back of the throat and then to the trachea right? And then uh, with snoring, you get partial obstruction in the airway where your tongue kind of falls back in the throat. And therefore, you can see the airflow right here in the back of your throat is restricted. This would be considered your oropharynx here. And then obstructive sleep apnea is where you get complete obstruction of the airway. We get those choking or apneic episodes, right? With uh, Here's another diagram indicating uh, the obstruction that can occur, particularly when there's obstructions in the airway, secondary to tissue. And so you have normal air, uh, airway anatomy here with the nasopharynx and the oropharynx and your tongue. And uh, airflow will go either through your nose or your mouth and then into your oropharynx and then into your trachea, right? Um, now, if you have an obstruction, in this particular case, this is something of note that we'll talk about in a second, but if you have an obstruction, in particular, a large tongue or more soft tissue obstructing the oropharynx, your airflow is going to be a lot less. One thing to point out is um, weight gain can definitely contribute to sleep apnea, and even if you don't tend to carry a lot of weight in your face when you when you um, gain weight, because you can get intramuscular fat accumulation, and it can occur in your tongue. And this added weight, particularly when you're lying supine, can definitely cause obstruction. Many of my patients have noticed that when they've lost uh, 10 to 20% of their body weight, or decreased their body fat percentage to that healthy 10 to 15% body fat for males, 18 to 22% for females, many of their symptoms of sleep apnea have resolved. In fact, many patients have uh, have cured themselves of it. So that's one thing that I want to emphasize. 
Now your position obviously can affect whether or not you get airway obstruction. So ideally you want to be in a position where you are, your airway is completely open, your nasal, oral, or your um, oral, laryngeal, and pharyngeal axes are aligned. And in this particular position, it almost looks a little bit like the sniffing position. You can look that up. It's a position we use a lot in anesthesiology to promote airflow. Um, can, can definitely help you if you're in this position right here or in the lateral position right here. Um, a position where you're lying flat on your neck uh, is more likely to cause your tongue to fall back and potentially cause obstruction in the back of the throat and decreased airflow. Central. So there's obstructive and there's central. So central sleep apnea would be sleep apnea that's secondary to issues in terms of the respiratory control uh, centers, which are primarily found in the brainstem. And that would be the medulla of Hans or thalamus right here. And sometimes these centers can be affected or um, damaged in some way. And many times you'll see this in stroke or congestive heart failure, or in certain medications like opioids. And the main idea is the response to carbon dioxide. So typically as carbon dioxide levels raise in your blood, uh, your respiratory centers start firing, you start breathing it off, right? But um, if your CO2 levels, if you have a damaged respiratory center or an in, in adequately performing respiratory center, uh, as with these rising CO2 levels, they may rise a bit too high and uh, you can potentially get apneic periods. And in many, in, and in some cases, you may have both a mixed uh, sleep apnea that is consisting of both central and obstructive. And as the one thing I do want to point out is obstructive by and far is the majority of patients, 70% of patients have this with um, about... 20% of them being mixed and only 10% having uh, central obstructive sleep apnea. Now it is associated with a lot of other uh, disorders such as um, coronary artery disease or myocardial infarctions or heart attack, uh, diabetes. 40% of individuals who have obstructive sleep apnea also have type 2 diabetes. 60% of overweight obese individuals have obstructive sleep apnea. Um, it's associated with 2.5 to three times the increase in new cancer diagnoses. These are patients with obstructive sleep apnea. And in patients who do have OSA have two to five times the risk of dying of cancer versus a healthy patient. Uh, if you have high uric acid levels, which would be found in uh, gout, you're more likely to snore, experience daytime sleepiness. And there is a link between OSA and Alzheimer's and dementia. And the researchers think it's probably due to the fact that you get consistent decreased uh, REM and deep sleep levels. And then low testosterone levels. Now low testosterone levels may cause obstructive sleep apnea by virtue of the fact that it may lead to decreased metabolism and weight gain, which can cause the soft tissue growth and intramuscular fat deposition, right? Um, that's one reason it can cause it. Um, and however, one thing to point out is when you're trying to treat somebody with obstructive sleep apnea and hypogonadism, you have to be careful. If they are untreated and they have severe obstructive sleep apnea, so an AHI of greater than 30, that's an apnea hypopneic index of uh, greater than 30, you definitely want them to 
start therapy with either CPAP or some sort of dental device, and then consider starting testosterone replacement therapy because in these individuals, severe untreated OSA, it may worsen your therapy. There are some risk factors, of course, for developing uh, sleep apnea. Obesity is a key, uh, key one right here. And also one of the easier ones to improve. Smoking, allergy, history of asthma. Males tend to develop it much more than females. And uh, declining hormonal levels. So as we age, if you have decreased testosterone, decreased estrogen levels with females, that is also associated with obstructive sleep apnea. What are some of the signs and symptoms? Well, uh, they're pretty straightforward. So daytime uh, fatigue or sleepiness, snoring continuously, frequent need to urinate, um, choking or gasping while asleep. Now this might be something that your partner may notice or pauses in breathing while asleep. And then of course, a um, propensity to develop hypertension or diabetes. Other things that are uh, noticeable, decreased libido, a dry mouth or sore throat or headache. And then also attention and learning memory difficulties secondary to a decrease in that deep sleep and REM sleep uh, time periods. Okay, so there's a screening uh, tool called Stopping that's very useful in terms of assessing if someone has obstructive sleep apnea. And Stopping is an acronym that stands for snoring or presence of snoring, tiredness during the daytime, observed apnea, so a partner would notice this, High blood pressure greater than 140 over 90, body mass index greater than 35, um, and age greater than 50, neck circumference greater than 16 inches. And if you're male and you have three out of these eight uh, criterion, you're likely to going to have some form of sleep apnea. Six out of eight is likely to be severe, right? The definitive test is a polysomnogram or polysomnograph. And uh, this is where we're going to go ahead and determine your AHI, your apneic, uh, hypopneic index, right? And depending on these episodes that you get, your grade is either being mild, moderate, or severe, right? And so if you have 5 to 15 episodes per hour, you're considered mild, moderate is 15 to 30, and severe is greater than 30. Now remember, if you have severe obstructive sleep apnea, it's likely that we need a pause or not, not consider testosterone replacement therapy uh, until this is treated. What about the therapies? Well, the conventional therapies are the following. So CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure, just airflow that's um, pushed through your uh, nose or your, um, or your mouth. And the idea is that continuous flow keeps those airways open and less, and your uh, allows uh, it's less likely for them to be occluded with tissue or during positioning. And um, the issue that a lot of patients have, though, is that comfort is a problem. One thing I've recommended is looking into the nasal CPAP, as they seem to be a little more comfortable than the face masks. Um, and there's also some uh, newer versions of positive airway pressure, there's BiPAP or, well, um, adjustable positive airway pressure, which actually adjusts according to your need. Uh, There might be certain uh, periods of time at night where you may not obstruct as much and it may not give you as much airway pressure and can be a little more comfortable whereas time time periods where you need a lot more pressure. BiPAP is just uh, differing pressure levels during inspiration and during expiration. Oral appliances and dental devices. So there are certain uh, dental devices that will actually, um, you wear them, and they'll actually pull your mandible forward. And so that, as you can see, when you when you pull it forward, you're more likely to uh, pull the tissue forward 
that may be obstructing your um, your oropharynx, right? Back of your throat. And for certain individuals, it seems to work. In, in my um, experience, this seems to work with mild and moderate sleep apnea, not so much with um, severe, although, you know, your experience might vary. Uh, medications. So modafinil is a medication that's used for daytime sleepiness and obstructive sleep apnea, and it certainly works very well. And then there are surgeries in extreme cases where this does not work. Um, the or uh, the devices or the medications, uh, tonsillectomy, adenoidectomy, along with uvulopalatopharyngeoplasty, which is a fairly painful surgery, but um, it has provided some relief to patients. is some, is an option. Um, as well as if they have a deviated septum, that's another way to improve um, airflow in the nasopharynx. And now let's talk a little bit about the dietary and lifestyle changes. So one thing I want to just emphasize here is weight loss is so important. If you can commit to losing 10 to 15% of your um, of your current weight, and you're overweight, of course, you're, and you, um, you are likely to radically reduce the symptoms associated with obstructive sleep apnea. There's been several studies that looked at just as small as a 10% weight loss can cause a 26% decrease in your AHI, the apneic hypopneic index. If you get a 30% weight loss, it can be as much as greater than 50%. And I this is held true for a lot of my patients. As mentioned earlier, you know, getting that body fat percentage down, getting that weight down, particularly if you're you know, considered obese or overweight on your BMI will really make a big difference and ideally allow you to come off some of these uh, devices, particularly if you find them to be cumbersome, right? Exercise. So this will go hand in hand with weight loss, but it's also independently associated with improvement of symptoms. And the researchers that looked at it really think it's secondary decreased body fat. Um, smoking and uh, alcohol avoidance. Uh, this definitely is associated with obstructive sleep apnea. It can certainly worsen a uh, central component, you know, a component in regarding your brainstem if you have that. And um, one thing to note is if you do have obstructive sleep apnea, you may be more likely to automobile uh, accidents or um, you may be uh, more likely to have issues if you were to drink um, may take a longer time for you to metabolize the alcohol and won't be more likely to be involved in an alcohol-related automobile accident. Sleep position. So as we talked about, lying flat on your back is the absolute worst, but being on an incline can certainly improve your airflow or perhaps resting on your side on an incline, uh, aligning those axes and opening up your airway. And then making sure that any allergy or asthma management is uh, undertaken so that any airway swelling is kept to a minimum. Now, what about some integrated interventions? So uh, many times we'll use these three. So N-acetylcysteine seems to work well as an antioxidant, helps reduce inflammation in the airway. Also has mucolytic properties, so you tend to get a lot of mucus production that can help. Vitamin C and vitamin E is also another pretty uh, potent antioxidant. And it seems, to, um, um, it seems to work as a respiratory stimulant. So if there is a component of central uh, sleep apnea, this, this may actually be of use. And then 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C and 400 IU of vitamin E can be useful.
Then finally, coenzyme Q10, uh, as well as a B-complex vitamin, are both important in terms of reducing inflammatory load. And because, you know, coronary artery disease and the risk of a myocardial infarction is associated with sleep apnea, it can help reduce that. So uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about obstructive sleep apnea. And hopefully you found this information to be helpful. I'll see you guys in the next video.